0: The Motherhood Channel is your trusted source to provide in-depth information from UC San Diego experts focused on pregnancy, childbirth, and the first year of life. Visit uctv.tv motherhood for more. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Stephen Mercer. I'm a college counselor helping students apply to college and answer their questions about how to best approach this sometimes complicated process, and I'm an instructor with UC San Diego Extension in the college counseling certificate program. And in past episodes, we've been talking a lot about how this pandemic has uh, been a real upheaval to the college admission process um, in some temporary ways and maybe even some long-term ways. And we've talked a bit about how standardized testing has been impacted. And today I'm really thrilled to have a guest who is one of the most respected experts on Standardized testing and has a great deal of experience um, working directly with students uh, of all different sorts and thinking deeply about this. And uh, we're here to talk a lot about the test optional movement. So I'm really, really honored to be joined by Akhil Bello, who's the senior director of advancement and advocacy for the National Center for Fair and Open Testing, which is also known as Fair Test. Which you know, amongst college counselors is an organization that we talk about a lot. So Akhil, I can't thank you enough for being here today. Thanks for having me. So, you know, could we start by talking a little bit about what test optional is? You know, I I talk to college counselors, my colleagues, I talk to students a- every day, and a lot of them know what test optional means, but you know, a lot of them don't. So maybe could you give us,
1: give us an overview of what that means? Sure, test optional simply means Universities choosing to make many, if not all, of their admissions decisions without the use of SAT or ACT. Um, the broad term test optional actually encompasses multiple policies. Hmm. So I think the most important distinctions is when people say test optional, they sometimes mean test blind, they sometimes mean test flexible, and they sometimes mean what, what is truly defined as test optional. Test blind essentially means the universities won't consider tests regardless of whether you send them or not. Right. Test flexible means they give you a broader array of tests to submit. So NYU, for example, has maybe 11 tests on their list that they will allow students to submit. Right. Traditionally test optional, what that means is it's the student's choice whether to submit their test scores or not. Right. Um, and that has some restrictions to it. Not every institution, since there's no sort of uniform system of colleges, every institution applies that slightly differently. Whether they're going to require require tests for just homeschool students or just international students, but not for the vast majority of applicants. So when Fairtest says test optional, we're putting on that list any institution that doesn't require SAT or ACT, any four-year bachelor degree granting institution that doesn't right. require SAT or ACT for the vast number of students who apply.
0: Got it. And it should be noted that the the Fair Test website is a remarkable resource that anyone can access. And I use it frequently, right? And has a really uh, an updated ongoing uh, list or lists, right, of quite a few things related to testing. In particular, the destination that i've got bookmarked on my computer is the test optional list because i really need to know that um and i think students and families might want to know that too so it's something I, I recommend everybody um become familiar with and it's just fairtest.org got it fairtest.org so you know again this is probably a really long conversation about what i'm about to ask you but there's a bit of a history to kind of the what's called the test optional movement right i mean some schools probably say, well, we're not part of any kind of a movement. This is just something we've either always done or, you know, it's not really part of a a plan or anything we've done in concert with other schools. But there is actually kind of a a collection of of colleges in the United States that um, kind of started some momentum around this. You know, can you tell us a little bit about
1: that? Sure. Um, Well, the first university to... Not the first, because you know, SAT hasn't existed forever. Universities have existed since the 1800s. The SAT came into an existence in about the 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the 60s, Bowdoin was the first school to stop requiring the SAT of the vast number of their applicants. Right. Um, and it's grown since then. Right now, the list of test optional institutions is over 1200, and that's, that's a lot. probably more than half the universities in the country, depending on how you count universities.
0: Right. So, you know, uh, what's your response to a question I get a lot from students and families is test optional. Well, that can't possibly help me. I mean, how how are they going to make a decision? Right. And it must it must be a trick of some sort, you know, you know what? I guess every university and college is going to be different in how they approach this. But, you know,
1: w- what's your take on that? Well, for me, the way I look at it is, one, from a family point of view, that sort of comment generally amounts to how do I gain the most advantage for my child and what can you tell me to let me gain the system for my child to get in, right? Which to me leads to Lori Laughlin. Like that's where all that thinking leads. Right. How do I get my child the advantage, forget everyone else? So right. I'm not sure that that thinking is worth really responding to. Okay. Right. Um I think the other part of it is colleges have acknowledged that there is limited usefulness to the SAT, even college board and ACT. When you look at their validity studies, what they show is generally above GPA. If you start with GPA and that predicts success in college to let's say fifty three percent is usually the number that comes out. You add test scores to that, you get maybe three to eight percent more. Hmm. So there's a two billion dollar test prep industry designed to help people get three percent more in right. predictives in, in prediction of success at college. Right. That's probably not worth the cost.
0: Yeah. Well not to mention the money, but right, you know, as someone, you know, at U two, but I working with students on kind of on the front lines, you know. Every day, I'm just the, the level of stress, the anxiety, um, and of course the cost of their time and energy. And some folks are investing in you know test prep, you know products. Uh, it's just three three percent, even if it goes up to eight percent, right? That that's, I agree with you. That seems pretty outrageous, yes. right? So, and when I say cost,
1: I mean all of it intertwined, right? I mean, I, and and I worked in test prep. I've been a tutor. I still am a tutor for the SAT and all the standardized tests. The very fact that that job exists tells me the tests aren't as useful as they seem. That I can take someone in six weeks and substantially increase their score means that this test isn't saying as much as the general public tends to believe it is.
0: Right, got it. Now, other rationales that I've heard for colleges choosing to go test optional is some of what you've just mentioned, that it doesn't seem to be a a tool that really helps them make good admission decisions, but also related to other broader issues about access for underrepresented students. You know, is that, I think that's probably connected, but
1: can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. I think that, you know, the issue with the test particularly, so many things in U.S. educational system are inequitable, right? Uh, K-12, real estate values determine funding of schools. All of these things create inequities. Right. For colleges, the piece that they can solve relatively easily are the inequities created around testing. Because of the impact of things like test prep and ability to prepare and take the test multiple times, Um, Those things contribute to wealthier families fairly clearly having advantages versus low-income families. There is pretty much a lockstep increase in score as family family income increases. Hmm. And if you want to balance the scales a little bit, you remove the test. One easy data point in terms of what impact testing has is the, the highest scoring racial groups tend to also be the groups that take the test multiple times more often. Hmm. So when you look at all these things, not just test prep, the ability to take the SAT two or three times to get that super score. Mm -hmm. Well, well, the lowest performing groups, whether it's by family income or uh, family education level or race, whatever way you want to look at it, almost always there's lockstep association or correlation with ability to take the test multiple times, ability to prepare for the test, so a lot of what the test is showing isn't academic ability. It's access to the test. It's access to preparation for the test. It's access issues. Well, if you want to balance some of those access issues, you minimize the use of the test. Okay. So let me play. Let me play devil's advocate for a moment and say, ask you this: um, if, if it's
0: pretty clear, and colleges can see this, uh, educational leaders, everyone, everyone can see the the tracking of increased test scores aligning with. Um, income, right? Let's say. So if that's the case, what's preventing colleges from just saying, look, it's going to be pretty hard to cut loose altogether from some kind of an objective, you know, national standardized measure, uh, because GPA varies school by school, district by district, you know, it's hard to kind of use GPA sometimes as the uh, um, an accurate comparison between the applicant pool. Why not just allow colleges to say, Uh, The test is imperfect and it varies by income or maybe geography or whatever the other variables will be. And we'll just uh, accommodate that when we make our admission decisions. So a student applying from an area or an income level that we'd expect the scores to be sought higher, that's we're gonna hold them to a higher test score threshold and we'll accommodate other students coming from different backgrounds or areas or whatever it might be. Does that make sense what I'm...
1: It does, but what makes me laugh in that position is essentially said, GPA is variable. So let's use the SAT, which is objective. But here's why the SAT is variable. Right? You see, essentially yeah. argued exactly the same thing. They are both imperfect measures if because they are not objective and equal for every student. The SAT has been sold to the nation as an objective measure, and it's not. Here's another data point. I took all the SAT math sections from 2016 to today and put them in a spreadsheet and said, hey, if we got the same number of questions right, how much would scores vary? Right. So we're talking about the same standardized test. The math score, which has 58 questions, one would think there should be very little variance in scores for a student getting 53 questions correct, you know, on the test. Right. right. It's almost 100 points difference. Depending hmm. on when you take the test. Interesting. And ah. that's, and, and, and psychometricians and people who design the test tell you there's a thing called equating. If the test has easier questions, they adjust the curve. If the test has harder questions. But 90 points? Maybe I'll give you 10 or 20, sure. Right. 90 points is huge. That's right. thousands of dollars simply based on the ability to take tests in September instead of October because September is easier.
0: Okay. OK, so there's a movement and there's data and there's people out there like you and many others really starting to say this doesn't make sense because it's not objective and the arguments don't hold up. So then a pandemic comes along. Right. And seems to have kickstarted a, 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 an increase in colleges across the United States, really saying something of different things, but saying a lot about their test optional policies. Can you paint that picture for us? Because what I see is emails coming out every day announcing another college. But give us the nuance
1: there. So what you're seeing is so there's been a spike since 2018. Even, Mm -hmm. you know, there's been a growth, a pretty substantial jump in the number of colleges announcing policies um, around test optional. In March, when the pandemic hit and the access to the test became an issue, the March test was canceled in some places, not others. The May and the June test were canceled around the world. Um, So now there's all of these juniors who are applying to college who just can't take the test. So colleges are recognizing their logistical concerns as well as philosophical concerns around the use of the test in and of itself. And that has done two things. One, it's sped up considerations of test optional at some institutions. Mm -hmm. So they might have been thinking about the policy anyway and the lack of the availability of, of seats to test has exa- has accelerated their pace in whether they're going to announce something or not. And usually, I, to my thinking, and I don't have like insider information on this, but to my thinking, those are the, the pilot schools. Some schools have come out and said, we're going to do a three-year pilot. Generally, that's probably something that was planned and they instituted sooner than they would have otherwise. Okay. Um, secondarily, you have the schools that are announcing... Um, that just for 2021 or 2020 and 2021 applicants, they're not going to require the test. And that's more of a logistical, we weren't really sure about how the test, they weren't maybe not even having the conversation, but they certainly realized right now, because no one, it's really difficult to walk into a room and take an SAT. We're just going to waive that requirement for the next year. Right. Okay. So what do you have to, what do you, what do you see? There
0: still are what I would call holdouts, right? Mm-hmm. That lots of still there's colleges and universities in the United States that uh despite what these other schools are seeing are holding tight and saying we're still going to look at SAT or ACT in our admission decisions for the next class Is, are you seeing any patterns in that are you seeing do you expect those to hold I mean we're going into summer 2020 and as we're talking right now what what do you think about that
1: I think that some schools are going to hold out. Um, I mean, some schools will do things like they'll look at their institutional data, right? And they might even look at when SAT scores were submitted. Do the vast majority of their applicants send SAT scores from March or December? So if they sent them pre-pandemic normally, then they're not as concerned about getting scores, right? If they have a pool of applicants who largely send, you know, May or June scores... Mm-hmm. Then they realize that they can't get scores for those students. So I think institutions will make their own decisions based on their philosophies. Some institutions just love test, yeah. and they will hold on to a test until you pry it from their dead cold hands. Hmm. You know, and those institutions are probably not going to change their policies okay. unless the pandemic continues to make testing impossible and they're faced with enrollment issues.
0: Right, right. Mike, one of my concerns is, again, we're going into summer 2020, it's months before the next kind of supposed scheduled ACT and SAT dates are coming. But with all of the unknown in so many facets of our lives right now, it seems like things are getting better. We hope those tests will happen. Right. But what if they don't or what if they don't happen as planned? Um, It's a real concern that a lot of the students I speak with have. I'm super curious to know what uh, the other colleges will do. You know, will they, where's the point at which they'll say we just have to, right? Right.
1: I think what we're gonna see is if the pandemic continues to create issues around testing. um, So I'm assuming that the June test won't happen in any large way across the country or across the world, but there's July, August, September testing that could happen as well. If those tests come across, fairly large scale, and most students are able to test, then you'll not see a whole lot of changes in policies. But if those issues continue, and September, you know, fall testing becomes a problem, then you'll see a lot more announcement of test optional policies, because schools will be concerned about enrollment. So, but also College Board and ACT are rolling out at-home tests. So again, that's going to be the question. The at-home test is going to raise another question, right? We're talking about objectivity, College board is trying to convince us that a 45 minute AP is equal to a three hour AP. Right. Well, they're going to do the same thing with the classroom proctored SAT versus the at-home SAT. They're going to suddenly come out and say, these things are equal. Go ahead and take it at home. Right. And colleges will have to make a decision whether to accept it or not. Exactly. And then there's a whole nother range of
0: access and equity issues that come up around that. Correct. That's a whole um, development that I'm concerned about and, there's gonna be a lot to iron out, um, yes, I'm also hearing that should the upcoming test dates move forward as planned in person, you know pending any at home you know program um that the number of seats available kind of along the lines of social distancing rules, the number of physical seats available in a typical test site will be cut back because quite literally students will only need to be you know separated sat further apart, which equals fewer test seats. And that's a kind of a, another wave of, of anxiety and issues and who, who can <clears throat> test and who can't test. I think we're just going to have to wait and see that for that.
1: Absolutely. Right. As a parent, I'm not sending my child. I'm in New York City in the Bronx. Right. right? One of the hottest hotspots in the country. If I have a teenager right now, they are not testing for the next two, three months, not in a classroom with other people.
0: Right. And what if in another state or district or area, no problem right all of those students were able to test as many times as they wanted to and the the students in bronx could not how does a college track that how do we make sure things are fair correct uh you know really tough questions so i want to i want to talk about something else that's really on my mind i'm in california and recently the board of regents of the university of california which is the governing board that rules the system of the University of California, made a pretty momentous uh, vote on a decision to go test optional for the entire UC system. Uh, And given the types of institutions that the UCs are and how they traditionally have made their admission decisions with a lot of applications and and a a pretty solid reliance on objective data, not only, right, they are holistic in their admission decisions, but uh, to me, i found it quite shocking And I also understand the policy, at least for now, says that it'll be test optional for two years and then test blind for another two years after that, all pending um, a a lengthy decision-making process that the UC is going to go through to try to find a better test or develop something new or just stay the course and not have testing at all. If I've misunderstood that and you know that better, you're going to tell me, but what are the
1: reverberations of that? Um, no, I think you you basically captured it correctly, right? So two years test optional, two years test blind. Hopefully they'll have their own tests year five. If not, they're just going to be test blind forever. Hmm. Um, and forever is in quotes because I think that's part of the issue here is recognizing that the UCs haven't always required the SAT, right? So in 68, there was a... Operation Golden Bear from College Board, where they sent all their lobbyists to California Mm -hmm. to encourage the UCs to accept the SAT. (laughs) So so the UCs have had policies over the years that have varied in terms of how they use the test. In the 90s, there were different policies. Um, They required the subject test for a while. You might have been able to apply without tests based on GPA. So all these things have changed. I think one of the things that people don't consider in the conversation is Has the school actually always required the test? Who do they admit without the scores? One of the regents brought up transfer students who are admitted without SAT scores every single year and they graduate at the same rate or better. Got it. So what value do test scores provide? So part of the conversation was the question around the value that the test scores provide. The UC's going test optional, it's the biggest single system, the biggest number of students who are now not required to take the test. Yeah. One of the considerations that I see on a national level is College Board's revenue just took a hit. The UCs, the California represents about 14% of the SATs administered every year. Wow. So what if that number drops down to 2%? What if that number drops down to 7%, right? That's a huge financial hit for College Board. Right. Um, so that's part of the conversation, right? The right. other part of the conversation is now, Other state schools, other large institutions have an example from which to follow. Mm -hmm. Most, many of the test optional schools to date have been on the smaller side. Certainly, there is nothing to the scale of University of California. Right. So I think that this will provide a scale demonstration of the use of it in admissions. Got it. And I think that that will take a lot of the institutions that their pushback has been, well, we can't do it. We have too many applications. Well, now you can simply point to California, which has more than all of you. Right. I don't know what institution gets more applications than see. Right.
0: No, you're right. I think the numbers are very clear.
1: Right.
0: So in your opinion, I mean, it seems it's obvious that this is a, a huge uh, you know, step. It, it's... It's not insignificant just by the numbers alone of the UC system. And a lot of times, you know, populous states like California, public policies that take take hold in states like California sometimes kind of, you know, have a domino effect in other states, right? For whatever reason, whether that's good or bad. So this is obviously big, but in your experience, how big is it? I mean, maybe, maybe you've already answered that question, but do you think this is really gonna tip something quite extraordinary, or is it going to trickle through other college systems or colleges? You know, how fast are we going to see the
1: momentum pick up, I guess? I think that's that's an interesting question because the momentum's been fairly, you know, I think that there is a pretty steep curve, right? Like right now, the jump from, you know, 2015 to 2018, it's, it's almost a straight line up when, when I'm graphing the number of announcements, right? Yeah. So w- California will probably accelerate that. Um, the pandemic makes things weird yeah. because we don't know what impact that's going to have on institutions, right? There's going to be some level of, oh my God, we have to fill seats, but also some level of what do we, you know, there, there's caution on both ends that's going to be created by the uncertainty and the financial uncertainty and who's actually going to attend. Okay. Right. So I think that it's going to blur the conversation a little bit. I would imagine that in two to three years, especially when the university goes blind. Right. So I would say after four years, I really am going to be interested in seeing what the landscape looks like, because if Calif- if University of California is successfully, and however we choose to define that, test blind for two years, why would you ever go back? Right. Like, there's, 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 you know, if they accomplish all their goals and, and that works well, I just can't see that system going back. And if California does it, then we have a really good example to point to for the rest of the nation.
0: Got it. So really using the two year time timeline to see how this first wave of UC's policy goes, another two years to see how they're test blind. While we might see a lot of activity with other institutions before then, it's probably, we won't know the real impact of how this changes things across the country until another four or five years. So here's my final question. You know, in the UC um, decision, what came out was that they wanted to uh, explore whether there'd be a better test, right? Mm -hmm. Whether there is an existing one or they develop their own, okay? Is there a better test?
1: There is probably a better test. There is, and it depends on how we define better. Mm -hmm. In my hopeful, optimistic, loving of the world, not cynical viewpoint at all, there is an assessment which will define for the university skills that students have demonstrated um, in taking that assessment. Skills particularly of interest to the University of California, does every student need to take calculus? I don't know that California cares about that, right? So I think that you can define an assessment that actually tests the skills the university is interested in, right? Um, Now, so from that point of view, I think you can do better than the SAT or the ACT. From the point of view of something that is equal in access, equal in, you know, ability to prepare for it, all of those sort of other things that create some of the largest inequities in the SAT and the ACT? No, I don't think you'll be able to solve for that unless you solve the way we fund K-12 systems. Hmm. So there's sort of the bigger policy question, as well as sort of the, the practical, can I create an assessment that we think is better, that hits these check marks a little bit more? Yes. But will it solve for you know, low-income students can only take it once because it costs $50? Probably not.
0: Okay. And which seems to be quite a bit about what what the UC decision was about. Not only, but uh, that was quite a a bit of it. I'm also just concerned that more testing options isn't necessarily bad. It, it, It isn't necessarily good for the students and families that I work with. It's more confusion, more decisions that need to be made. And that makes it complicated.
1: But I think the interesting thing in all of that is I found the UC's conversation the UC's decisions to essentially be, we are California. Hmm. We're not worried about the rest. Hmm. Which I think okay. is a public institution in California that makes a lot of sense. Right? Like, to yeah. say, if you want to do a California thing, we're not worried about whether New Yorkers have to take it or whether a student applies to in New York. We're going to do a test that works for the UC system. Hmm. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, but I'm
0: I don't know. It does make sense, but I, 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 and I'm in California and a proud graduate of the UC system. And, but wow, I I don't know it on a practical level, it makes it more complicated, right? Kind of.
1: I mean, but when you think about, I believe the number is something around 80% of students apply to institutions in state. Right. Right. So they're really solving problems for that 80% or more. Okay right? It It, it becomes more complicated if you're applying out of state. Yes, absolutely. But if that drives change in the private institutions in California as well, then it solves even greater issues within the state of California.
0: Got it. Okay. That's a good, I think that's a good, good clarification. Hey, Akhil, we could talk for hours. Um, I could. Super interesting. I'd love to have you back. I'm really, really grateful. Um, Anytime. I encourage everyone to look at Um, fairtest.org. It's a remarkable resource, and it's something that I think everyone should know about and would benefit from. And I know we've benefited from hearing about your perspective and your expertise. And again, I can't thank you enough. Thanks for having me.